Our scripture readings come from the gospel according to John, and then the responsive reading will be from Philippians chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the responsive reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why the Gospel of John? I'm going to say more about that in a minute with more depth but just like revelation uh, and I know it affected you this way because you told me uh, revelation in speaking about revealing Christ in glory from the ascension to his return in a strange way it helped us to better understand what was going on in the world around us. When someone asked me, why do you say Revelation affected you more than any other thing that you've done, any other book that you've studied in the last 30 years? One of the major reasons was that the world around me and what was happening in the world around me became more and more clear. I understood uh, what was happening. 
I think that's essential. When we live in the secular culture in which we live, and we're seeing, we're seeing our civilization, Western civilization and specifically the culture in this country, we're seeing it change in, with lightning speed. And we're seeing a secular culture, a culture that has put God on the outside God has been marginalized. The church has been marginalized. The gospel has been marginalized. And you see a picture of that all through Revelation. And so it it was so helpful. Revelation was so helpful in that way. Well, in the same way, in the same way, I wanted to come, or I feel the Lord led me to come, to the gospel according to John. John more than any of the other gospel writers is focused on the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's focused more uh, on who Jesus is. And if you're going to survive in this secular culture as a Christian, I really mean this, if you're going to survive as a Christian, there's going to be so much pressure You must know and be convinced in your hearts of the deity of Jesus Christ. The supernatural aspect of who he is. And more than any other gospel, you see this in the gospel of John. So, you know, there's a real excitement when you tell a congregation, you tell a a group, well, we're going to study the book of Revelation. Everybody shows up. I want to be taught. I want to get it. I hope you'll have that same anticipation in the gospel according to John. Um, I hope that during this study, you get to know the gospel of John. You get to know the apostle John in a way that you've never seen him before. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will convince us as a congregation, come in power convincing us and showing us in a new and greater way, absolute deity and truth of Jesus Christ. With that, let's pray together. Father, we bow before you, and we must this morning, Father, again as your priests, a congregation of priests, bowing before your throne, we come with our concerns. We come with our concerns as a congregation. We pray, Father, for Phil and Sally Halley. Father, you know their needs. Bring healing to feel, give Sally strength, draw them both close to you. We pray for Kaki Wright, the daughter of Leonard and Peggy, as she undergoes chemotherapy this week. Bless her. Help her to withstand that treatment, and we pray that treatment will be effective against the Bless 
Michelle Cruz, Johnny, as they still grieve the death of her, her mother. Oh, Father, how powerful your gospel speaks to us when we must go to the cemetery. Our Father, we're not to mourn like the world mourns, and we pray that you would bless the cruise flame. Bless Liz McEwen as she grieves the death of, of her mother. Our Father, for the family of Robbie Tribble, oh, wipe away their tears, Father. Give them strength for this time. Our Father, we thank you. Thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that death has been defeated. Thank you that when death lays hold of us, that Christ's grip is greater and he takes us to glory. Oh, help us to know this, Father, to live with anticipation. And now as we open your word, Father, we pray that there will be a sheer joy of anticipation as we expect you to speak to us and teach us. Oh, Father, we're your children, and we're asking you as our Father to teach us again. Teach us, Father. Tell us the story again. Change us, maybe some of us for the first time. For the glory of Christ, we pray. And in his holy name, amen. Jesus, who are you? And where are you from? I have been fascinated in our study in Revelation in seeing the relationship between Revelation and the Gospel of John. Now, maybe that surprises you. You say, well, what's the relationship besides the fact that they have the same author? Well, let's learn something right at the beginning, and it will help you in not only understanding Revelation and John, but it will help you in understanding the New Testament. Let's take a moment, and let's rearrange the books for a minute. We've got Matthew and Mark, don't we? The first two Gospels. And then you have Luke. And Luke wrote his gospel to a friend named Theophilus. And he tells a story of the gospel, of the life of Jesus Christ, from the birth to his death and resurrection and ascension. Well, then what's the next book? John. Well, let's take John out of the way. What's the next book that Luke wrote? The book of Acts. In fact, he addresses the book of Acts to whom? To Theophilus. And he says, Theophilus, I'm continuing the story. And what does he do? He continues the story of the disciples the coming of the Holy Spirit and the church of Jesus Christ going throughout the empire. So it's just Luke, Acts, think about them together. 
It's just a continuation. Is that not right? Okay. Well, let's come back to John. So John, the apostle, writes his gospel. And it's the story of Jesus coming from glory. His life on earth. His atoning death. His resurrection. And his ascension. Well, what's the next book that John writes? Now, forget the letters. What's the next book that he writes? It's the book of Revelation. And where does Revelation take up? It takes up exactly where John had left off in the gospel. Just like Acts, Luke started writing Acts. He just took up where Jesus is leaving. That's exactly what John did. John began Revelation with Jesus' arrival in glory. We saw that. And what does he do in the book of Revelation? He tells the story of Jesus reigning in glory while the church here on earth is going to the ends of the world. He tells a story of Jesus reigning in glory from the ascension to the return. That's the way you need to look at the New Testament when you read. We could say, well, there's a sense that you ought to have Luke and immediately following Acts and then have John and immediately follow that with Revelation. I'm not saying that you need to change your New Testament. That helps you to see, helps us to see the connection between Revelation and the Gospel of John. So, we're do, what we're doing is we've looked at Revelation and now we're going to, this, to the prequel. Usually move from the prequel to the sequel. Well, we're going from the sequel to the prequel. The first 18 verses are called the prologue of the Gospel of John, the before word. Before he actually begins the body of the book, here is the prologue. John introduces the Gospel, his Gospel, with that prologue. More than any other part of the four Gospels, these 18 verses were the focus of church leaders and scholars for the first 300 years of the New Testament church. It was from these churches, from these verses, the first 18 verses, that the early church, that the councils of the early church developed the doctrine of the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ. It's from these verses that the early church developed the doctrine of the Trinity, further develop the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, we're going, here's this great prologue with so much depth, incredible theological depth. But we're only going to spend one Sunday. We'll be in it. We'll be in it today. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be in it for a short time. But we're only going to spend this message and a little of next week's message on the prologue. 
there's two, the reason for that is that if we get started going through the prologue and going verse, get it going line by line, we won't get out of the prologue till August or September. So, and I don't, I want us to move a little bit quicker than that through this time. But we've already been in these verses previously, already been here. In preparation for this message, I went back and looked at what we've been doing the last year. We have referred over and over and over again to different sections of the first 18 verses of John. Probably more than any other scripture, we've come back to this scripture. In fact, on December, not December, November the 27th, the first day of Advent, 2022, uh, we were in the prologue of John's gospel. The title of the message was on November 27th, this last November 27th, the story of the Son of God before the Incarnation. And then the very next Sunday, December 4th, we were in the prologue again. The title was The Deity of Jesus. Why is it non-negotiable? After this morning's message, if you want a deeper understanding, in fact, if this were a class where I could pass and fail you, I would make you go back this week and listen to the message from December 27th and December the 4th. It would be required. It will, get, it will help you so much in beginning this study. What would you do this morning? What would you do this morning if I said, I have an, I have an assignment for you. I want you to write an essay about the birth of Jesus. Would you write an essay about it? A historical essay. And I want you to do this without referring to any angels. I want you to do this without referring to Joseph or Mary or Elizabeth and Zechariah. I want you to do this without speaking of Bethlehem and Nazareth. I want you to do this without mentioning the tax leather levied by Caesar. I want you to do this without mentioning any shepherds or any inn or any stable. How would you write that? What would you say? That's, that's exactly what John did. He didn't include any of that. None of it. It seems here, even right at the beginning, that John was intent on writing a different gospel. Not one that disagreed with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's just different. I believe, and a lot of scholars believe this, that Matthew and Mark and Luke had already written their gospels. John knew what was written in their gospels. And he set out to say it in a different way. Matthew and Luke focused on the earthly players and the historical narrative of Jesus' birth. They speak of the angel and the coming of the, the, the angel coming to Joseph and to Mary. They speak of the virgin birth and their journey of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. 
the birth in the stable. Well, John takes those, John takes that historical narrative and he changes it to a theological narrative. He takes their historical facts and says, this is what those facts mean theologically. He says, you know, here's Luke talking about Mary and this conception, virgin conceiving child to the power of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the birth in Bethlehem. And what does John say? And the word became flesh. That's what all that meant. His gospel is more theologically oriented than the other gospels. When I meet someone for the first time, I have a a game that I play with myself. I want to see how long, and this is a perfect stranger, I want to see how long it takes them to say, who are you? Who are you? And where do you come from? Well, that's exactly what John does with Jesus. All through his gospel, and in these first 18 verses, he tells the reader, this is who Jesus is. This is where he came from. So Jesus, who are you? John, who is this Jesus? Those are the questions John is answering in the verses this morning. To understand this, let me ask you another question. And it's not here in our text. But what titles, what titles are used to most used to describe Jesus? What titles does Jesus have? What's most used in the gospel? The first title used by far more than any other title is the word Christ. It's used so much, you know, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. People think it's just his middle name or his first name. Well, it's not. It's a title. The Greek word Christ means anointed, the anointed one. The word Messiah, the Hebrew word Messiah means anointed. It's a title. The anointed one. That's used more than any other. The second title most used title, is the title Lord. Lord Jesus, or Christ the Lord. In the Old Testament, God is called the Lord God. Caesar, in that first century, he claimed to be Lord, using the Greek word kurios, same word that is used in the New Testament for Jesus the Lord, Christos Kyrios. In the early church, I mean, Caesar claimed to be Lord, Lord of all. The disciples of Jesus were martyred, were killed, because they refused to say, Kyrios Caesar, Lord Caesar. 
Christ alone was Lord. So you have the title Christ, you have the title Lord. A distant third title that's used in the New Testament for Jesus is Son of Man. Now what is significant is that by far, by far, this is a title that Jesus used to describe himself. You're talking to Jesus? Say, so who are you? The title he most frequently, to which he most frequently referred was the Son of Man. I'm the Son of Man. Now in doing this, he was not referring to his humility or to his humanity. May have been. It wasn't just those. But primarily, he was referring to Daniel chapter 7. The, the, the Israel had been looking for the Messiah for centuries. And different prophets had prophesied and given them visions of what this Messiah would be like. And in Daniel 7.14, read this carefully. We, you ought to memorize it. Every time I read it, I just, I was in my office the other day, in fact, yesterday, and I was reading this. And I just wanted to shout, look at it. I saw in the night visions and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Now here he is. This is glory. This is before God. Remember God on his throne in Revelation. This is where this is. And here comes one like the son of man. What's he doing there? He's presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom will be one that will not be destroyed. Wow. The rabbis read that and said, that is Messiah. That's Messiah. Well, Jesus was saying to Israel, this is who I am. I'm the son of man. Now, the Apostle John, he got it. He got this. You have to go back to God on his throne. Where does, his, where does he begin? He's going to write the Gospels. Where is he going to begin? Where does he begin his Gospels? He goes, in the beginning. Those are the first words of the whole Bible. In the beginning. That's where John began his gospel. With Genesis 1.1. And what does he say? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. You want to know who Jesus is? John begins to tell us in verse 1. This is who he is. And this is where he came from. Well, maybe at this point, you're like I was years ago. What in the world does he mean? Was in the beginning was the word. And we know he was speaking of Jesus. But, but why call him word? Well, let's uncomplicate this. The Greek word 
for word is logos. And in Greek thought in that day, if you'd been sitting in a philosophy class, a religion class, either you were Greek or you were Roman, you're thinking, you were taught that the logos, the logos was behind the universe. It was the meaning, it was, it was the reason behind the universe. How'd the universe come to be? It came from the logos, came from the word. Now, in John's day, and he knew this, a Greek in Athens reading the beginning of his gospel would have, when he read, in the beginning was the word, he would have said, hey, this man's speaking my language. The Roman in Rome would have thought the same thing. This man's speaking my language. Well, John was also speaking to his own Jewish culture. In Jewish thought, the Logos was the agent of creation. Look at Psalm 33, 6. And we could go other places, but I don't want to spend our time doing that. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Now, John was simply, how were the heavens made? By the word. John was simply following the teaching of the Old Testament and personifying the word. And the word was what? With God. word was with God. That means the word was a person in the Godhead. To whom, you know, go back, we in our Sunday school class with R.C. Sproul this morning in his study that we were watching uh, a video, and he referred to, to God making man. Man was made in God's image. And what did God say in Genesis 1? He said, let us, not me, let us make God in our image. Well, to whom was he speaking? He was speaking to the Son, to the Word. He was speaking to the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's make man in our image. John further tells who Jesus was. It's not just a word. Look at the third verse. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So he's the word, and as the word, he's the agent of creation, and all things were made by him. All things. And then he doubles down, and he says it another way. And without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, he was saying, if it exists, he made it. No wonder Jesus in the middle of the storm threatening the lives of his disciples could simply say stop and creation obeyed. No wonder he could say to the blind men see and the blind men saw. I love, you know, at, we talked about this recently at, looking at Calvary. And the earth shook. There was an earthquake. And the sun grew dark. And it was a supernatural darkness. And 
I love what the hymn writer wrote. And alas, and did my Savior bleed. You know the verse. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature sins. That was just not some kind of poetic rhetoric. It was truth, the truth of the gospel. John says here in verse, you want to know who he is? He's creator. He's the word. He's the creator. But then in verse 4, he goes on with his description of who Jesus is. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And he was life. What's he mean by that? Has, has life in him. Well, he's just now told us. He says he made everything. Mary said, let's make man in our image. Well, in Genesis 2-7, we read this. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living being. If you had to say, what do you mean? What do you mean? John in saying, in him was life. John said, go back and read Genesis 2. Where do you think we came from? But you say, oh, man sinned. He died. I'm glad you said that. Because that's what John's saying here. Jesus came bringing life. He came bringing life. And what did Jesus say in the Gospels? This is not on your scripture sheet. I don't think. He said, I came. I'm here. I came that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. You've never experienced life like this. But then he says something strange. He says that life is the light of men. This life that Jesus brings is light in this dark world. In my first pastorate in Virginia, I became, I became acquainted, no, I became friends with, really close friends, with two men who refused to believe in the deity of Christ. Both, they were very much alike. One was a, a brilliant CPA who was a disciple of the Stoic philosopher Marcus Aurelius. The other was a retired Air Force general. He had been in the White House with Roosevelt during the Second World War. He's a chief liaison officer between the Allies, or between the United States and Russia. They were adamant in their unbelief. And we had so many debates with each other and speaking to each of them individually. And they were adamant. They'd become very frustrated with me. Both men read scripture. In fact, the general had read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation twice. I lived, I lived, I can happily say this. I lived to see both of those men say to me, John, I now believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. I lived to see them say, 
and I love him. Wow. What happened to them? Jesus gave them life. He brought a light to their lives that they had never known. They had seen, both of them had seen great days in their life, but they never saw a greater day than when Jesus invaded. Not just as the Word, not just as the Creator, but as life giver, as the light. They were born again. Then John finishes with a victorious statement about the light in verse 5. The light shines in darkness. You need to hear this. We need to hear this. How many times have we said to each other in the last year, it's getting so dark. It's really getting dark out there. How many times have we said that? Now look at verse 5. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Satan tried to put out the light through Herod when he killed the babies in Bethlehem, and he failed. Satan tried to put out the light in the wilderness when he confronted the second Adam with immense temptation. He failed. He tried to put out the light through betrayal and the disciples, through the Sanhedrin, through the treachery of Pilate and the Roman cross, but that life and that light came out of that tomb. How does John finish his statement? But the darkness has not overcome it. Wow. Whatever darkness you'll face or you're going to face, it can't extinguish this light. Can't do it. I've never seen the power of darkness like I've seen it in recent days. And yet I know there's one light that they can't put out. So who is Jesus? He's the Word. He's the creator. Let me ask you, what do you personally believe? Do you believe this? Here's John. Let's say he's sitting right there. I say, did I exegete this correctly? And John's going to say, probably could have done better, but you got the essence of it. Who is Jesus? He's the word. He's the creator. He's the life and light of the world. And then what happened? It's the most stupendous verse in all of scripture. And the Word became flesh. The creating and life-giving Word became flesh and walked among us. If you've ever said, if you've ever said, trying to maintain peace or trying to figure out, if you've ever said, well, you know, Jesus was, I, I believe his teachings. I, he was just a great teacher. Shame on you. How in the world can you say that, having read these verses? Great teachers weren't back there present in the Godhead. They had a beginning. They had a birth date here. The beginning of Jesus goes back 
to the Trinity in eternity. And the Word became flesh. Jesus was saying, I'm the Son of Man who stood in Daniel's vision before the Ancient of Days. That's where I'm from. I'm from the glory of God. Even long before Daniel's day. Jesus spoke often. You're going to see it. He spoke often of those days. Look at John 3, 12. And I've told you, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You see it? He's speaking himself. I've come from heaven. Now you're either going to say, no, Jesus, you got that wrong. You're a great man. You didn't come from heaven. You're just a great teacher. You're calling him a liar. It's time you faced up to it. You're either believe, you believe, you believe that he merely is a great teacher. You're calling him a liar and you're on your way to hell. This is a son that God provided. This is a savior that God provided. And you're going to say, oh, uh, you know, no, he's, he's a great teacher. That's all. Before he went home, look at John 17, 4 and 5. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work. He's speaking to the Father and he says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. The Son of Man and Son of God was finishing his main purpose, his main mission of redemption. He was saying, Father... I'm longing to get home to glory. I'm longing to go back, come back home to the glory that I had with you before the world was. In Revelation, we saw all that happened in glory when he did go home. What a scene, what a sight. Well, in John's Gospel, the prequel to Revelation, we see the Son of God arrive from glory. That's what John told us this morning in the prologue. We say, hey, John, why did you write your Gospel? Why did you write it? You already had Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why, why did you write it? Well, he told us in John 20, verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen all those? But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Sums it up, didn't it? And believing you may have life, this life that he came from heaven to bring. As we assemble here for worship, during the next few months, the Apostle John will prove to you, prove to me, he'll prove to us the deity of Christ. He's just told you that he was. He's going to spend the rest of the time saying, I told you so. This is who he is. He will tell us what he personally witnessed in his days with the Son of God and Son of Man.
our hymn. It's a hymn we sing at Christmas. And it's a hymn, you know, some hymns that are Christmas hymns really weren't written originally to be sung at Christmas, to be sung when we celebrate the Incarnation. This one is a Christmas hymn. And I want to tell you, I want to remind you that when we sing our hymns, they're praise, they're adoration, they're praise. And we're confessing our faith. They were saying, this is what we believe. Sometimes I will hear friends of mine say, my non-Christian friends say, well, you know, I like Christmas, John. I like to sing the Christmas carols. And I, I'm just confused. Say, so hold it. You want to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You do realize that's confessing the deity of Jesus. But here's this, it's an idiocy to me. Here's a person that says, I am not a Christian. I do not believe. And they stand up and sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it's just, they say, well, you know, it's part of our culture, part of my upbringing. If you don't believe this this morning, don't sing it. Please don't sing it. But if you do believe it, you pull out all the stops to sing it because this is who Jesus is. And this is who you're looking for from glory. Let's sing hymn 203.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in us and go with us and abide with us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.